Hard to Believe is proud to be a part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. To find more of this and other great shows, head to cageclub.me. You can find the show on YouTube by searching Hard to Believe Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Or you can support the show on Patreon by heading to patreon.com slash hardtobelieve. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at john at cageclub.me, or you can find me on Twitter at probablyrealjb. That's P-R-O-B-A-B-L-Y-J-B. The show is written and produced by me. Hello, I'm Bree from Pontifax, a papal history podcast ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. In our latest episode series, we covered Pope Joan, the legendary female pope who deceived her way through the church all the way to the pontifical seat. In her episodes, we discussed the origins and legitimacy of the myth, but also what the myth represented and still represents about the church, particularly with regard to the role of women. Female religious authority has always been a topic fraught with anxiety and controversy in Catholicism where exclusion seems to be the main modus operandi. But have women always been forbidden from serving as priests? Or is the church's current ruling on the issue little more than a cover-up? These questions finally came into focus for Margaret Mary O'Connor, a lifelong devout Catholic who always questioned the muted role women were allowed to play in the church and always suspected there might be more or less, to the arguments the church made about the ordination of women. When well into her adult life, she read a book called The Ordination of Women in the Catholic Church. Written in 2001 by former Catholic priest John Vingards, who left the priesthood over the women's ordination issue, it takes apart the church's theological and philosophical arguments barring women from the priesthood, and also highlights a forgotten past in which women did serve as priests. Vingard's book sent Margaret down a research rabbit hole, which ultimately led to her publishing her own conclusions in her book, Scandal in the Shadows. She has since dedicated her time to vocally, openly championing the ordination of Catholic women and to exposing the sex abuse scandal that continues to cast a shadow over the institution she loves. Margaret holds a Master of Arts in Pastoral Ministry from Christ the King Seminary in East Aurora, New York, and she is a former chaplain and currently a Eucharistic minister at Our Lady of Charity Parish in Buffalo, New York. Margaret Mary O'Connor is John's guest today. This is hard to believe. Margaret, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Oh, thank you, Jan. I'm so glad to be here. So we're going to talk about your work in the Catholic Church, um, and it's it's work that um, I think a few generations ago would would be kind of unthinkable, and I think more and more has has become um, more accepted and increasingly mainstream. And that is the role of women within the church, um, specifically as it pertains to ordination. Uh, before we get there, though, I wanted to talk a little bit about your own 
your own life story and um, specifically the story that you tell about um, your health struggles. And uh, it seems to me that that story ties in in an interesting way to um, the the work and research that you're doing now. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, if you want to introduce yourself a little bit um, in terms of, um, you know, your, your, your life where you grew up, um, where you are now, and, and, and what are some of those struggles um, in your earlier life were all about? Oh, sure. Um, I grew up back in the 1950s. Uh, in the Catholic Church. I was raised in an Irish Catholic home. And of course, uh, for family life, our faith was something that was um, very important. And I learned at a very young age uh, the discrepancy as far as women's equality goes. Uh, my brother Paul received a birthday gift from my mother, and it was actually a cardboard replica of a church altar. So Paul was so excited and it was set up out in the parlor. So he instructed my twin sister, Pat and myself to grab two chairs. And we acted like the parishioners. We sat down in front of the church altar. And of course, Paul was so excited. He was playing the part of the priest and everything was going on. fine and dandy until a certain point, I remember I stood up and I said, Paul, I want to play the role of the priest. (laughs) I'll never forget. He said, you can't, you're girls, you have to be a man. So uh, anyway, very abruptly, I, I, I learned that discrepancy. And then it was a short while after that, my mom was a organist at the church And you have to realize she wasn't one that really rocked the boat. And she asked us if we would like to, after choir practice, go down and stand behind the uh, altar in the church. And for girls, that that was something unusual because obviously uh, the men had that role. So I remember my twin sister, Pat, she... um, stood behind the altar first, and then when it was my time, I remember, I can vaguely remember this, that I like sort of centered myself behind the altar and like where the priest would stand, and I was looking out and thinking, gee, this would be neat on the weekends. You know, all those (laughs) fuse would be packed. (laughs) And I was getting into that sort of, uh, you know, uh, thought when all of a sudden I heard the pastor saying, what are those girls doing on the altar? And um, my mother, I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> and before she could even say anything, he went on something about the girls don't belong on the altar and blah, blah. You know, and I thought this was awful because I don't know, what was he trying to impart? His authority and obviously, I guess women, well, we know they weren't allowed. But, I mean, I thought it was really um, in bad taste because we were only young girls then. So anyway, I remember my mother spoke up and said, oh, yes, Father, that's right, unless women can clean the altar. And <laughs> he just <laughs> turned around and he walked out of the church. And then I remember I uh, my head swung back because I was thinking, oh, my God, that's my mom's boss. She's going to be fired, you know. 
And it was his tone too. It was very arrogant and, and, and there unfortunately wasn't really any warmth there. So uh, my mom just winked back at me. And then I remember going back when I was in my 20s, for some reason I thought of that. And I wanted to ask her, you know, what gave her like the courage because we had something that was called pray, pay, and obey. This would be like, you know, back in the 20s through 30s, 40s, 50s, 70s. And you just knew you wouldn't dare ask your pastor any questions. Mm -hmm. And she said she went to a Catholic school where I always went to a public school. And she said it was like an honor for girls when they got into, say, seventh or eighth grade to be able to be up on the altar. And again, of course, it was just in a, in a cleaning row. And uh, what really had gotten to her was just this priest arrogance. You know, like how dare he speak to, you know, any woman like that, uh, you know, in, in such a tone. So anyway, I had those two uh, uh, different experiences at a rather young age. <laughs> and through the years, uh, I'll call them rumors. I would hear uh, ladies at church uh, saying, yes, there were women priests in the church. So, of course, mm -hmm. I would ask the assistant priest, any, any new priest that came in, oh, no, no, there's never any woman priest uh, within our church's history. So, you know, at a young age, you pretty much take what you hear. Well, of course, I went on with my life and I got into my 30s or 40s. And I guess my curiosity finally just got the better of me. And I wanted to find out there has to be a way I can find out if there's any credence to these uh, rumors. So um, I did get my uh, pastoral uh, ministry degree. And I, I should have realized that even though it was a great research library, uh, information like that would no way be in such such a library. So years went by, and I kept reading books. And finally, I came across the book from John Wingard's The Ordination of Woman in the Catholic Church. And he did research and he even has a chapter in there, I'm Mary, Mother of God. And I came across this one sentence, and I literally threw the book up in the air. I was so excited. <laughs> the information that he has in his book comes from biblical research. So it isn't just maybe his wish or... Um, some here say that this is really the truth. And the truth is that Mary, mother of God, was actually a woman priest. She was uh, called Mary Priest, and her title was the model for all priesthood in the Catholic Church. Well, just hearing that she was a priest, and then how ironic to have a title. She was the model for all priesthood uh, in the Catholic Church. I mean, this was just wonderful. Mm -hmm. But once that feeling of, of wonderment, excitement dissipated, I obviously realized, well, wait a minute, I've been lied to. And I don't care who's lying to you. It's not a very pleasant feeling. And 
the more I thought of it, I knew nothing about this wonderful new truth. Well, if I didn't know about it, the millions of ladies, women here that are Catholic all across the U.S., and then let's go worldwide, they as well know nothing of this information. And I guess the thing that really bothers my conscience is that the hierarchy of our church, they have perpetrated this lie, this cover-up has gone on for centuries. And they basically left a whole half of our church, that's obviously the woman, from not realizing this whole hidden religious uh, history to womanhood is there. And then, John, anyway, that answered one of my main questions. Why did the hierarchy always never seem to acknowledge the early history of our church? Well, of course, it was in that early period that you had not only woman priests, you had woman bishops and woman deacons. So, obviously, by not acknowledging that, um, that just keeps that hidden as well. Right. But who are these, I call them so-called men of God, really, to be lying about such information? Let's face it, if you're a man and you get a call from God, you're, you have a ticket. <laughs> if you want to be a priest and obviously go on, you have clear sailing. Yeah. Now remember, that same man that now wants to be a priest, when he was a baby boy, he was obviously baptized. Well, the baby girls were also baptized, and it was with the same words, and uh, the girls went on, and they received communion as well as the boys did. They received the Holy Spirit as well as the boys did through confirmation. But right after confirmation, it's almost like there's an imaginary line drawn there. And that's it for any woman. And if they get the call to become a priest, well, well, it is too bad. It really is. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, unless you then belong to another faith denomination, uh, that is going nowhere. And what I'm basically trying to do with this book is to start a worldwide conversation because I really believe any woman deserves to know the truth that yes, there were women priests, but more importantly, that Mary, mother of God, was a woman priest. And what a role model for any young girl in the church. Um, I want to pick apart some of the arguments and evidence uh, in a moment, but I also I want to talk about one of the things that you talk about in um, on your website and I've and other venues um, is your own your autoimmune disease that you that you dealt with for a long time um, and and the way that the, the response uh, that you got from a lot of doctors to that disease um, it, it sort of to me seems to have shaped some of your um, I don't know, determination to like not take no for an answer um, and, and to be heard. Um, so can you talk a little bit about sort of the way that that experience um, shaped you as a, 
um, as an activist and as kind of a, a determined human being. Yes, as a rebel. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, celiac disease uh, is actually an autoimmune disease. And a lot of times it's thought of as an allergy. And I just want to be sure that everyone's listening out there, I'm not trying to put down an allergy. There are allergies that are life-threatening. But I'm trying to make a distinction here because this is a disease that whenever you ingest wheat, rye, barley, so what, what am I talking about? Your everyday foods that I used to consider my regular foods, it basically attacks your intestinal wall. For some reason, when that uh, the gluten from the grain gets into your intestinal area, your body sends out like uh, invaders. They see it as something foreign. So basically, it's, it's ending up that your own body is attacking your own intestinal wall, that tissue. So by the time any of your nutrients from eating, you know, get digested and move on, they are never absorbed by your own stomach. So basically you are literally suffering from malabsorption and in a sense you are starving. Uh, I went down from 125 to uh, uh, 88 pounds. But what happened was I went to eight different doctors and no one knew at that time what it was. And there were so many of them that literally looked at me and labeled me as being anorexic. In other words, like I made this decision, I wasn't eating. And the help that I needed um, definitely would be from a psychiatrist. <laughs> and they basically just, they wouldn't believe Okay, if you can imagine again that everything you're eating, nothing's being absorbed. So you are constantly hungry. So my main meal would be like two huge baked potatoes, maybe two big pieces of chicken, a salad. Uh, I would have half of like a, a, a cornbread container. Uh, I would eat the cornbread. Uh, <laughs> I would have my whatever coffee, tea, and then I, I have, oh my God, I need cookies, whatever. And within two hours, I was back to, to eating again. It just constantly eating large quantities of food. And I guess you will never understand if you're in such a weakened state because you're losing all this weight, nothing's being absorbed. And uh, for uh, for 20 years, uh, I went through that. And I mean, I really was so sick. And I was lucky finally that finally I got a doctor that listened to me and said, we're going to find out what's causing this. And he told me when they get, when, after they did the biopsy that I was basically within six months of being six feet down in the ground. So I am really so lucky to have a second chance at life, to be alive again. 
And my twin sister, Pat, unfortunately, had brain cancer, and she never had the chance at life again, which I had. So um, it, it just puts a whole new perspective on your life, and things before that you maybe thought were so important really aren't important. And then there, when there are issues of importance, like the woman priest issue, Right. You you know, so much time is wasted. And basically, I guess I'm coming from the point we have this true information out there. It's not make believe. So what's happening unfortunately is with that pray and obey mentality, the Catholic laity, there's just this complete silence mm -hmm. and it's a type of complete silence if i'm picketing for against uh pre-sexual abuse it's the same wall that you're running into and right i really would like the catholics out there to realize that under vatican ii uh under the constitution on the laity you do have the right to speak up on issues of importance so you're not breaking any church law. But more importantly, if we're talking specifically about the woman priest issue, they've done a survey and they're showing that the number of millennial women that are leaving the Catholic church right. uh, outdo, outdoes that for the, the males. And right. maybe the mothers out there listening, the grandmothers, can maybe see this issue of uh, woman priests now from a completely different perspective. Because if your daughter, your granddaughter wants to be a priest and she is in a church where they have completely lied to her and, and not have taken this basic religious heritage away, uh, let's face it, I happen to be in an Irish family, so maybe one generation, uh, there was uh, Christopher was a priest. Maybe Sean was a bishop. Uh, you know, maybe <laughs> Ryan was <laughs> a cardinal. But right. these men, these young men through the, you know, it, generations family, they've always had models. Okay, let's, let's take that into the, the woman's corner here. <laughs> Where yeah. are our models? Well, obviously, there aren't any. But yes, this is going to be something new because you haven't personally uh, seen it within our church. But going back to the actual church history, women did have these roles. So it really, in a sense, it would be reviving what originally was there. It's not starting some new tradition. It's bringing back something which was within our uh, church's uh, history. So, okay. Um, I want to kind of present this on the two tracks that I've um, seen the argument presented. And one is a uh, kind of a church doctrine track. And the other one is the sort of biblical justification track, right? right. So I, I uh, when I was an undergrad, 20 years ago or so I, I and again that's in the catholic church that's 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 a generation right um so <laughs> you know things have changed since then even um but this is when I, I first started hearing rumblings about 
um, movements of women uh, within the church who are, who are pushing for this. And I, and I, I did some, some research into it. Um, and the thing that I came up with from the perspective that the first thing I want to deal with is, is the, the perspective of the church as an organization whereby the final say of the church is what determines whether or not you're a good Catholic, right? So, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, yes. um, that you sort of, you sort of, you know, you take what they tell you and you, and you, and you don't ask questions. Um, so this is a really interesting kind of catch-22 argument that if you know the history of the Catholic Church, like a lot of its arguments are built this way. And it's one of the ways that it sort of maintains tradition and moves very slowly. But um, one of those arguments is that, okay, um, if you're a good Catholic, you abide by the Catholic Church's te teachings and doctrines. A priest would have to be a good Catholic. If you're a woman... You are challenging the, 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 the church's doctrines, which is what disqualifies you from the priesthood. It's not that you're a woman. It's that you are, you are, you are challenging. You are not accepting the teaching of the church. And it's not your, your womanhood that makes you ineligible for the priesthood. It's the fact that as a woman, you are not obeying the, the Catholic doctrine. Um, so that's, that's the toughest one, I think, to crack. Let's start with that one. Um, what would you say, as someone who has remained in the church your entire life, even as you're taking on this fight, um, what would you say to, to that, uh, that first argument? Well, their doctrine is faulty. In this <laughs> sure, <laughs> but it's what they say. <laughs> you, of course. But uh, yeah, th yeah. their doctrine is faulty in the sense that the Catholic Church has five specific reasons that they attribute as being biblical reasons why any woman can't be a priest. And the biblical research has shown each of these five specific points is not biblical at all, but rather it's cultural prejudice. And of course, okay. the first one is that men believe that women were not made in the image of God. And we can go way back into our early church, of course, and let's face it, who was in charge were the men. And for the most part, unless a woman uh, was rich, maybe she inherited her, her husband's money or her father was rich, whatever, if she had land, uh, then she was treated completely different from your average everyday woman. But men obviously did have dominion over woman. And at that time, they just couldn't see any way that, you know, how could a woman ever be made in the image of God? And the second one was where um, St. Paul uh, came out about women not teaching in the church. And at that time, there was actually a common law. And it stated, because women were so feeble-minded and emotionally unstable, Oh, my God, how could you have a woman out in public, you know, teaching if she suffered from this uh, condition? And miraculously, women had this condition more so than men. <laughs> and then the third one was, of course, that it was believed that women carried the sin of Eve. And that goes way back into Genesis again. Right. It's cultural. Right. Uh, but... 
there was uh, a miracle that there were specific candidates in the church that would be perfect candidates for the priesthood. And of course, those were the men. And obviously, if women were seen to carry sin, they, they weren't the best stellar candidates. And then the one we've all heard is that Jesus specifically picked the 12 apostles to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Right. Well, John Winsgaard's mentioned ancient Israel was purely patristic in nature. And I really believe Jesus knew if he ever put 12 women in those positions, he would have been run over some cliff. Mm. And then the last one is because Jesus was a male, that we have to have a male up at the consecration, you know, uh, during the Eucharistic celebration. And again, all these five points really aren't biblical. They're uh, cultural prejudice. So I, I would definitely come from that stance that your um, doctrines here are definitely faulty. And I would like to ask the, uh, the current hierarchy, if I ever could speak to someone, um, <laughs> what, why haven't you come out with some pronouncement uh, to say, uh, apologize that you were sorry, but, you know, in, in light of the new biblical research, we re realize that uh, these are not uh, biblical reasons at all. Yeah, and especially, I mean, you know, this to me is the really infuriating thing um, when it comes to Catholic doctrine. On the one hand, you know, the Catholic Church doesn't really need to justify itself with the Bible necessarily. It can say what it wants. It's an institution. It um, it has a hierarchy, and what the hierarchy says goes. Um, however, when they when they do make those proclamations, right, it's hard to 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 square at least the um, the Eve part of it. Uh, the original sin part of it, with a church that also avows that Genesis should be read allegorically. So, you know, they're, they're at once saying, well, you don't have to take it literally, but, <laughs> right, we're going to keep the literal part of Eve being responsible for all of the bad that is inflicted upon mankind forever, <laughs> um, which I find, yeah, again, that's that is, I think, a um, an entry point to sort of to sort of make the argument. And then the other one, I, that's the one that I was alluding to, is the um, the apostolic tradition one, and and the idea that like, well, they're all they're all guys, they're all dudes, so um, it's impossible, right, that that a woman could um, in, inherit that role. Um, which again, I, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a good argument, but it's certainly a difficult one to, um, to penetrate and sort of counteract. And I, and I've, I've, I've seen people struggle to, um, articulate, you know, an alternative to that. So, so that's, that's really sort of where, where I think you come in. So, um, explain the evidence for your research that no, in fact, um, the, elevate the elevation of women to leadership and even priestly roles in the church goes all the way back to um, to Mary. In uh, John Winsgaard's research, you know, he did mention Mary as being a woman priest. And uh, I found it fascinating. Uh, in 1854, the church fathers, in order to give Mary the title Immaculate Conception, they 
came out with the statement that in order to give that term, they had to prove that she was a priest. And they used Hebrews 7.26, isn't it fitting that we have such a holy priest? Uh, I guess I'm making emphasis of that because um, sometimes people will think, okay, now you mean Mary has some type of an honorary title? Because obviously she was Jesus's mother. And John Winsgaard's went on to say that Mary was a sacrificial priest. In other words, she was right up there at the altar at the consecration. And of course, this is something that uh, any woman, uh, obviously, we can't do. I guess the the, the question I think most people would have is, is, you know, where is that coming from? Is is there is there documentation that supports this idea, or is it just you have to kind of read the scriptures and then also read the the um, subsequent church doctrines in a kind of specific way to to get to that argument? You know what I mean? Because it it, it seems to me that um, if something as radical as this change would be put in place. Um, you know, the, the, the flock, so to speak, needs to, needs to have a, um, needs to have the, the paper trail. Yes. Right, uh, so to speak. There would be a paper trail, obviously for the uh, Immaculate Conception. That right. Back in 1854, John Winsgaard does mention uh, dates. He uh, mentions that uh, back in uh, 1903, um, Pope Leo XIII received a painting of uh, Mary in a chasuble attire, and this was allowed. He was allowed to hang this painting of Mary in priestly attire. But yet, Hmm. in 1913, there was a change, and this was no longer uh, allowed. And uh, back... um, trying to think of the date, there was actually a prayer card of Mary, and the the prayer was in Latin, and there was a picture uh, of Mary. Well, moving on, I I found this shocking, and it's something that it was was covered up. It it wasn't 2,000 years ago. It was 1927. The hierarchy of the Catholic Church took away Mary's title as the model for all priesthood in the church. And John Winsgaard's question, you know, why was that? 1927, you know, that suddenly that this happened? And he brought up an interesting supposition. That same year, there were women from other faith denominations that were openly speaking out uh, for women uh, to become priests in, in, in their faiths. Um, and this, I really thought, was very underhanded. I I have a petition in the back of my book, and one of the things is I'm asking Pope Francis to reinstate Mary's title. There was a Roman official. He's speaking uh, to the man that ran a a short article about this in in the paper, and he's telling this uh, newspaper man, Oh, basically, we are so pleased the way you handled this question. And uh, it is so important that this question be put to sleep. 
Well, my God, they're talking about Mary, Mother of God. Is she some type of an object? This question. And, I mean, when you think of it, who, who were these men? They have the nerve to take this title away from Mary. So that's like another uh, proof of Mary, you know, being like uh, a priest and what happened. But, I mean, to me, 1927, let's face it, that, that you know, again, in that 2,000-year realm, that's very close for us to relate to. Yeah. Um, so obviously, I mean, it's not as though the church has not endured um, or put in place big changes, right? I, it, the whole history of the church is, is uh, eventually, right? It will, it will move a few steps forward on yeah. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, you know, and be that the counter-reformation, I mean, you know, people think priests have been celibate the whole time. They haven't been, right? That, that's, that's a, that's a, late addition to uh to to teaching and you know then there's reconsideration of that now and then yeah again like the um the 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 idea of accepting evolution and uh looking at genesis as as allegorical um as you as you push this idea and as you as you try and um give voice to this argument to this fight um do you look to any particular time in church history uh you know recent or or not so recent to say like if this can happen then uh anything's possible well i can go back to 1975 and the pope has his own commission it's called the pontifical biblical commission and they actually did a study then about woman priest in in the catholic church and they came out emphatically, and they said in this statement, there is absolutely no biblical reason why a woman can't be priest. Now, that's 1975, and the hierarchy has just sat on that. Let's jump back to 1974. They looked into the question of woman deacons within the history of the church. And John Winchgards mentioned there were three Greek studies that basically were in agreement all in one. And the women at that time were called woman deaconesses. But what was interesting was he mentioned that whether it was the ordination for a man deacon or a woman deacon, they would both be on the altar in the presence of the bishop the bishop would lay hands on them, officiating in prayer. They both would have a stole put around their neck, and as well, they would drink from the chalice. Now, I guess my question is, they've obviously sat on this information from 1974. There never would have been any need for Pope Francis right back in 2016 to again bring up a study of woman deacons in the church. And I really consider this a cover-up. They have information from their own commission. And again, who are these men to sit on such an important finding? Because again, this is validating that yes, there were women priests back in the early history of our church. 
there were woman deacons back in the early history of our church. And as I mentioned earlier, there were women bishops. So it's not that like women have never done this. And again, the church will say, well, oh, we can't start a new tradition. Well, that's already in place. It's just bringing that um, back. And I really, this, I mean, disturbs me because I'm calling it cover-up. I, I don't know if there's a, a better word for it. But yeah. uh, another word I don't like to use is duped. But let's face it, any Catholic woman in our church has been duped. They have been lied to. Their own chance to answer Jesus' call has been literally ripped away from them. And at every turn, we have the information that women indeed were priests. In order to have anything finally change, it's going to take the Catholic laity. Yes, you have to speak up. And even if you would only send a postcard to Rome asking one question, why haven't you acted on the fact that you said there's no biblical reason why women can't be priests? I mean, if they were flooded with a million postcards, they have to be held accountable. Yeah, and especially when they're struggling to find priests uh, in certain parts of, of the Catholic world right now as well. Um, and I, I mean, yeah, a lot of other potential reasons. One of the things that um, you, you mentioned briefly, uh, and that I know that you've talked about is, you know, you're also um, been involved in trying to draw attention and, and sort of um, voice some protest. Um, to the accountability as it pertains to um, the the child abuse uh, scandals of decades uh, of and especially recent decades in the church um, is 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 there an argument to be made and in fact do you make the argument that um, the only way and I think this this is where, where I would where I would fall, um, or one of the only ways or most effective ways of making sure this doesn't happen anymore is to have women in the church who are more likely, right, to 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 give voice to that and to hold um, the men accountable. Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, I'm not saying that there wouldn't have been abuse, and and unfortunately, there has even been abuse uh, on the religious side, like some religious sisters, but nothing to the extent. Yeah. Um, but of course the woman, this would be a way to somehow begin to shore up that awful hemorrhaging of, of the priest numbers. Uh, you look back to the 1970s, they were doing studies then, and the hierarchy knew that the number of young men going in to be priests wasn't what it was like back in the 60s. Here again. They sat on this until they had to do something. And of all things to affect, they affect, affected the liturgy of the Eucharist. Because if there is an area where they don't have priests, they'll do a communion um, service, you know, where they'll take consecrated hosts. And, and then a deacon, someone will, you know, hand out the Eucharist and say some prayers. But... I mean, from 1970 until, you know, they just sat on it. Um, and for those of you that are listening and thinking I'm bashing the church, 
Um, <laughs> I might be, but I'm trying to change things. I really believe any woman deserves the truth. Uh, in this year, 10 years ago, we deserve the truth. Nothing is going to change unless all this, these lies, all of this cover-up, deceit is brought to the forefront. Nothing will ever change. And, and when, it's funny when you said about picketing for the pre-sexual abuse. Uh, I was out picketing and this lady came out of the church. It was in the middle of winter. And she scared me. She whipped open her coat. And I thought, oh, my God, does she have a gun? Because she, she prefaced that. She's saying, you're the ones that are destroying the church. She had a cup with holy water. And she started to go down and bless us. And she got to me and I said, no, ma'am. I said, I'm Catholic. I know exactly what's going on inside that church. <laughs> and she just looked at me. Oh, my God. But I said, could you please just answer one question? You are saying that we are destroying the church. We are out here because... We don't think it's right for priests to be raping children. Could you tell me why it's wrong for us to, to not only think that, but to say that? And then she turned around and walked away. So, again, not if, if stuff like this is going on, maybe I'm too practical. I come from the perspective of, is their actions, their ministry, how is that mirroring Jesus's ministry? Would Jesus have been lying to ladies? Would Jesus be allowing other priests to do whatever they want, or, you know, to their uh, abhorrent uh, behavior? Would he allow that? Is this really the Catholic Church that, that we we knew of or, the, or, the, or that we want to continue. So my models are Jesus Christ and Mary, Mother of God. And um, I'm not going to worry about the hierarchy because <laughs> the hierarchy has literally gotten us into the situation that we're in, whether we're discussing the priest's sexual abuse, not doing anything, the bishop is the one that decides if a, if a child is raped. Well, gee, it, the priest, is that a sin or is that a crime? And obviously, if he feels that the priest committed a sin, the priest is never arrested, never handcuffed or uh, fingerprinted, and obviously never having a trial. So, I mean, there are... There needs to be just major changes because so many of us thought back in 2002, okay, finally we're going to have this huge commission. They're going to put all these uh, particular rules in effect. And finally, you know, this awful problem is going to, to take care of itself. Well, in mm -hmm. Buffalo, New York, back in 2018, it just blew up. There were supposedly only 12 priests uh, that committed sexual abuse. 
Then a few months later, it went up to 56. Yeah. And, and now yeah. it's over 200. It's just, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, but it, it, no. it's, it's very sad. No. Well, you haven't been uh, delivered a bull of excommunication yet, so um, <laughs> you got that going for you. But um, okay, so last thing I want to ask you, and I, I think this is the, um, it's a question that I get I, when I talk to students about this very issue. Um, I know a lot of, I, I teach um, Catholic kids, and uh, I know a lot of young Catholic women who are still very attached to the church, but also feel very strongly that um, it's sort of behind the curve when it comes to feminism and uh, the, the role of women. Um, and they asked me if I think that in their lifetime, uh, this is going to change. And I, I, you know, my answer is I don't really know. Um, I, 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 if I was to, you know, say which side of the 50-50 I fall, I, I think my answer would be maybe yes. But I, I, I would love to hear what you think. I, I mean, you've sort of seen whatever incremental changes in attitude, especially among parishioners, right, um, have, have taken place. Um, do you think this is something that's inevitable? Um, or do you just, you know, not know whether it's going to happen ever? It won't be inevitable unless the hierarchy or the hierarchy, the laity gets involved. We've had organizations like wonderful organizations like Call to Action, Future Church, Women's Ordination, Roman Catholic Women Priest. And yet, until the average, everyday Catholic woman, they unfortunately, obviously, don't even see this issue of women's ordination as an issue, because if they don't realize the actual history and that the church has lied to them, well, obviously, it is of no importance. And if you ask them, well, who's Kale? Who's Lita? Obviously, they wouldn't know. These were our woman priests from our past uh, history. It's very interesting. Over in Germany, they have masses of the laity that come out uh, and picket. And I, I attribute that to they have some very open-minded bishops and they've actually worked with the laity to form like committees and they are very involved on the woman priest issue and it just shows how if you get the laity together things can change but you look at the bishops and very sadly um we don't we don't have many that are very open minded for something like this, but I think the biggest thing is if the word gets out, and I'm asking uh, anyone that's listening today, if you would please talk with your friends, talk with your other family members. We need to spread this truth, and that's the only way that anything is going to change. Uh, I do have that petition that I mentioned. That, if you feel Mary was offended, uh, that a uh, woman uh, should have the right to be a priest, uh, if you could go over my website and, you know, just take a look. And if you want to sign it, that would be wonderful. Because as I do each show, um, I'm going to take those signatures, uh, you know, and they grow and then uh, submit that to Rome. Because 
Rome doesn't even see the issue of obviously women's ordination as of any importance. And very quickly, Pope Francis, back in 2010, when he was a cardinal, he had a book on heaven and earth. And in there, he referenced that women <laughs> received everything that they were after back uh, in uh, when women received the right to suffrage. Well, 1920, okay. But seriously, you take that issue of women's equality, bring it into our church. Yeah. And obviously, this is not even on the hierarchies radar. And this is another issue why um, the, this issue isn't getting any traction. They just don't see it of any importance. And that's why it is so important for the laity to start uh, speaking out and to realize that, yes, there were women priests, bishops, deacons, and Vatican II as well under the Constitution uh, in the modern world. Article 29 said that any discrimination in the church should be removed. Well, hello, here we go. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, everything really is in place for a movement, but it's, it's just getting um, my fellow woman to realize that this is the truth that you're hearing today. And, and hopefully if, if you want to impart a difference for either your daughter uh, for your granddaughter uh, to do become involved in this issue. So before we go, um, would you like to direct people to your website and also how they can um, order your book? Oh, thank you, Jen. Uh, yes, my website is yourradicaltruth.com, yourradicaltruth.com. And uh, my book is available uh, at Amazon, uh, and as well, it does come in an uh, ebook form too. Uh, the book is Scandal in the Shadows. Uh, Margaret O'Connor has been my guest. Margaret, it's been really fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Jen. Where's it?